You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are here discussing Robert Van Gulick's The Chinese Gold Murders, chapters 8 to 13. This is the fifth novel in the Judge D Murder Mystery series, which, uh, Herds. Remind me again, Robert Van Gulick adapted the character and continued writing fan fiction after having so much fun just reworking the first story that he put out. Yeah, pretty pretty much the spicy bit of historical drama is that he read the original, well, not the original Judge D story, but he read a story of Judge D and presented it like it was the original story. But there are actually two halves of that story, and he thought that both halves had a different author. He described the second half, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he described the second half as like, clunky and lazy and kind of boring <laughs> basically so he only adapted the first half of the novels uh, of the stories that he found presented it to a european audience and was like hey what if i wrote more of this this story that someone else has written so what you're saying herds is that in honor of this tradition we should stop this episode in about 14 <laughs> minutes yeah i was gonna say we only read the first half of this entire story. We never find out what the ending is or who killed who or why. And the butchered bully goes unsolved because I'm pretty sure we already know what's happening in that particular mystery, which is exciting. More or less, anyway. What are the three cases we have so far? Because I mentioned last week, the I'm three not looking cases. at the start of the book because I don't want I don't want none of the spoilers that are in these chapter headings. Well, yeah, there's the chapter headings and then there's the illustration headings and then there's the three cases, which are the Dramatis Personae. There's just a lot going on. It's very funny. Yeah, there's the the case of the murdered magistrate, which is the magistrate who we now know because we 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 caught up in the book was apparently killed by poison from the ceiling. Hooray. So that's exciting. We don't know who or why, but that's what happened. Um, we have the case of the bolting bride, which is to do with Mrs. Ku, wife of Ku Mengpin, uh, a wealthy ship owner, and she's gone missing. She was taking some cakes to her husband and she went missing. And then there's the case of the butchered bully, which is the farmhouse murder, where there was this man and maybe his wife, who were killed by, what's his face, Arquang, a vagabond, yeah. as he is described in the book. I got most of the way through this stretch of chapters <laughs> and thought that those last two cases were the same case. Well, they basically are. That's that's the thing. Like, the, the really interesting, look, the interesting thing structurally about this book is that Robert claims that there are three main cases and then there's other characters that may or may not matter or are our protagonists but truthfully the bolting bride and the butchered bully clearly are like connected in a very direct way right like yeah. they're looking for the bolting bride when they come across the case of the butchered bully whereas the murdered magistrate stands on its own right the butchered bully also could have been the bride who bolted it's entirely possible because they say that fan chung is in a bed with a woman and pei is like 
she was clearly his wife in the tribunal. And Judge D is like, why do you think that was his wife? Did you see her face? And Pei's like, no, I didn't see her face, but- She had it covered. Well, well, she she says to the the laughter of the entire tribunal, she says, well, who else would he be sleeping with in a bed if not his wife? And everyone guffaws over that because adultery is a thing. It's true. And I- It's just, I I love this this book's tone of humor. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I think my favorite line in this entire stretch of chapters is when the the monks at the temple say to Judge D, like, "Oh yes, no, it was a terrible thing. Like last night, these these three hooligans yes. they broke in, they climbed over our fences." Judge D's there, like, mm, "I wonder who that could have been. <laughs> I wonder. Did you catch a look at them? <laughs> did you see what they looked like? Did they look like me at all? Did they steal anything? <laughs> no, no. They just found these coffins. Yeah, the fools. They didn't at all find what they were looking for. But little did the monks know that they did. Also, that scene kind of surprised me to think that <sighs> this stretch of chapters has taken place over two days." It's very quick. I feel like if this novel were true to history, then these these three cases would take place over months, is yeah. how I feel. Although, to be fair, there was like an imperial detective who came and like investigated the magistrate's death for two weeks before, you know, failing. So really, we're just skipping over that entire two-week period. It's true. We, we had the montage sequence where we had some complex indicator <laughs> of time passing, like a, yeah. a water wheel going round. Like a sun rising and setting many, many times. I do want to point out, just because I feel like it's worth mentioning, we've learned the terrible secret of Tang, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Because he's seen holding the hand of Fan, who was the servant that he was worried about getting eaten by a were-tiger, yes. and sobbing. And it's not outright stated, but he's he's gay. He's, he's a gay man. He's like weeping for his poor partner basically it's pretty wild that that's a part of this book it's not a big part but it's there and judge d doesn't like condemn him or anything it's just ah that's that's what people mean yeah someone says like you should have a look at this it's pathetic but no one like acknowledges that particular statement it's said in passing and kind of left hanging there for you to ponder it's it's definitely in the society that Robert is portraying here, seen as very strange and uh, like for a man to be emotional is like is like weird and it's not a huge issue, but it's like mm, maybe he shouldn't be doing that. But like it's it they don't exactly pick up the pitchforks. It's very much in direct contradiction to Chiao Tai sleeping with a woman, bursting out naked and having a sword fight. Oh, yeah, which is the best part. I forgot that that's how this this certain chapter's <laughs> end. Can I tell you, I'd read that so recently that on my reread, I was like, yeah, I'll just like, I'll just like, you know, think about chapter 13 later. But yeah, you're right. Poor man Chow Tai, he gets sucked in by this, this uh, Korean war slave. Yeah, he finally gets to sleep with this lovely Korean war slave mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who then either is trying to warn him about a scheme where an arms oh. are being smuggled to Korea or was trying to trap him into being killed because he was going to find oh, yeah. out about it anyway. Let's let's be no no, she was definitely trying to kill him. But when Ma Jung enters the room and is like, Oh, she must have been trying to warn you and was killed by the other man, he's like Yep, that's yeah, definitely that's, what, that's was definitely what happened. Although you do bring up a good point that um, to an outsider, because like either way, the man who I've already forgotten his name is it Kim? Yes. Kim, yeah, Kim. Kim. 
Kim Sang is still the one who like plunges the knife into Yusu's body and, and yes. kills her. So it could still, by you know, the rules of let's say magical realism, just to pull a random set of words <laughs> out of out of the wind, it could still be that she was trying to to help him and she threw herself in front of the blade. We don't know for one hundred percent certainty. There are a few moments like that in this book, and I'm excited to kind of dig into them. The way that it was sort of framed to me and the reason that I brought it up that way originally is that she was clearly in on the plan to have him killed, but then upon, like, going through with the plan, realized she liked him and tried to back out at the literal dying seconds. See, I don't think that's what happened at all, but it is entirely plausible. It is one of those interpretation things. Yeah, there are a few moments that kind of are up to interpretation. Um, it's definitely a, definitely a theme of this book, right? I mean, listen, I'm just trying to be generous when what really happens is that Robert Van Gulik has a character who gives away information needlessly because it's dramatically <laughs> I mean, it is fulfilling. dramatic. It is 100% <laughs> dramatic. Yeah, it's very sad because she believes that she's she's betraying Chow Tai because her country career is going to get these, these arms, but it turns out that there are no arms. It's gold! Gold in them there hills. <gasps> what do you mean? What do you mean? Why wouldn't it go to Korea? Where else could it go? <laughs> That's right. It's clearly that it's going to someone in China, and I think mm. I have an idea of who. Right. But we'll we'll save that for the mystery section. I did that pun didn't nearly come out quite as cleanly as I intended. <laughs> what was it, the pun? I totally missed it. I totally missed it. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a clean pun. If even I didn't miss it, I'm the pun guy. <laughs> they call me punny. Um, I'll tell you what. I, I want to touch on an element of, of Judge D's character because he gets a bit more of the spotlight in these chapters, I would say, at least in terms of running up against the people of the world. You know, he confronts an old peasant and basically beats him to death with logic. He criticizes an old philosopher up in his tower. He deals with those Buddhists and rather snidely insults them in their own temple. Like, it is shown time and time again that he is the smartest man in the room but he has a very peculiar relationship with religion, particularly Buddhism. He doesn't like these more kind of ephemeral ideas of the afterlife and of your soul being re reincarnated. And every time he comes up against a philosopher or, a, or a, a Buddhist, he shuts them down. He's like, your opinion is not as important as mine. I mean, there definitely is something a little Noxian about this story. Like, I'm, I'm getting the vibe that there are very particular nods to certain things on the Nox Decalogue. Sure. In that, you know, we had the hidden courtyard with the coffins mm. in the temple, kind of getting our secret passage out of the way, one and done nice and quickly. There's like the whole twins idea of this ghost of the dead magistrate going mm. around. Yeah. Well, well, what I like about the the ghost as well is the, the second time that they're described, which is when D is about to put his foot on a, a moldy board of a bridge. He's about to like plummet to his death. Well, he also thinks that it's like it was, it was rigged to be that way, not just that it was moldy. Yes. Yes. He thinks it's a trap, right? He, well, he, he says like, it's not mold. It was like, it was rigged to fall when I put my foot on it. But he's warned seemingly by the dead magistrate. He sees like the decayed face of the ghost with the, the sunken eyes across the bridge, like pointing at the bridge, like don't go there. 
That's that's why you die, boy. Yeah, it's like it's interesting because it obviously is to some extent the traditional detective's role to reject a magical explanation. It is, yeah. And I feel like it's it's weirdly the most literal representation we've had of that over the course of the entire show when it was kind of fundamental to the way that we initially approached the detectives on the program. But I think the thing that interests me is what the context in which Robert was writing that is. Yeah. Because like what what was the buddhist because because like buddhism is a fairly mainstay religion but in this it's like a new young upstart religion that everyone's a little cautious of right well i'm gonna let you know i did about uh, an hour of wikipedia trolling and my understanding is like Bud- buddhism like comes from india right whereas confucianism comes from china so in a sense that's that's correct like i mean i'm, I'm not sure of the timeline here i don't know when it happened but like Buddhism is something that was introduced to China and is that foreign element. And I wonder if Robert feels like Buddhism to Judge D is the same way that Chinese culture is to himself. Judge D is rejecting of this idea that sort of upsets what he's familiar with, what he's comfortable with, where he says, you know, we can explain all of these things through alchemical or, or logical means. But if there are things that are outside of his control, maybe there's some rub against that. It's also that he is the authority figure representing the government. And so he has to stick to the standards. And if he starts to accept that there are things outside those standards, then his authority is in question. He'd have to he have to accept that there are powers beyond his control and maybe even a criminal that is beyond his ability to catch. Ooh. Maybe in that maybe in that same vibe. But that, that's not foreshadowing. That's just it might be I mean, foreshadowing. Might be foreshadowing. Look, I I don't have to answer to you. I well listen, Herds. I think we should jump over to the mystery section because it's about time that I unveiled my grand solution for all. I'm excited. Bits and pieces of this. Okay, listen. I'm- <laughs> Look, if you haven't solved all three murder oh, mysteries, no. I'll be very disappointed. I need I need annotations, and I also need you to tell me what your favorite illustration is so far. Definitely the pyre. That's a pretty good one. That's a good one. Yeah, the flames going up, and they're like burning the the body or whatever. I feel I feel like there's a real someone. tenuous sense of scale with all of these ones, and based on the scale of the one with the pyre, both men in that image would be dead. <laughs> they are standing so close to that fire. I want to say for the record, I quite like the the one where they're interrogating the old peasant because that peasant looks so pathetic and the thug behind him, I assume that's, it's either Mahjong or Chow Tai. I don't know which one, but they look like they're about to beat this man down and I love it. Anyway, let's put that aside and get on with some mystery solving. Good luck, Flex. This is Death of the Reader, your Murder Mystery World Tour here on 2SER 107.3. We are discussing Robert Van Gulick's The Chinese Gold Murders, chapters 8 to 13. We'll be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to 2SER listening to death of the reader flex and herds here for your murder mystery world tour we are discussing robert van gulick's the chinese gold murders and herds mm. i have to uh i have to you show have to you who is responsible for this crime which crime there are several crimes all of these crimes <laughs> It all comes back to one man. Uh-huh. I was thinking to myself, it was cute of Robert Van Gulick to put in 
this little aside at the start of the story where uh-oh, uh-oh. Judge D's friends tell him not to come out to Peng Lai. Okay. Then I remembered I'm reading a mystery novel, Herds. Okay. And if a character is telling him not to come out to where the crime has happened. Uh-oh. Surely that character is implicated in the crime, right? Which which character are you referring to? I'm scared. The secretary. The sec- secretary. Secretary. Is it secretary who? Is it secretary ho? That's a great question. He's the guy in the first chapter that's like, ah, <laughs> oh, don't go to Peng Lai. That's a real backwater place where nothing interesting is happening. Please don't go there. Please don't go there. It's fine. It's boring. Just, uh, just stay here in the city. It's nice. It's pleasant. Well, there's there's three another- characters. There's Judge D and there's Secretary Lang. And then there is Ho, who wore the insignia of a secretary of the Metropolitan Court. So there are two secretaries, but yes. And you're saying that this secretary Ho is the criminal, the murderer? I reckon he did everything. Oh my goodness. What, what do you- well, not really. I reckon he orchestrated everything. Okay. Because, Herds, there is Chinese gold, and I think by Chinese gold we really mean Korean gold. Oh my goodness. That is being smuggled through Peng Lai. Okay. By the various wealthy ship owners. So they're they're traveling it on the boats. That's how they're like. I need you to be a bit more detailed for me. For me, you're saying this Ho is is the bad man, and he's smuggling gold by popping it on the 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 prostitute boats. I reckon I reckon it's coming in via the ports on the boats, and then I reckon that they're trying to get it to the secretary. Okay. Via this entire thing where they're making the new statue for the Buddhist temple. Mm, okay. I'm not really entirely sure what what more you want from me. I want I want more detail. How how are they going to use a statue to smuggle gold? Probably by wrapping the outside of the statue in a less heavily taxed material. Mm. Like some uh, some clay, some plaster. But the statue's like a gift from elsewhere. It's like it's like been brought in. Why well, not? That's why it's the perfect cover. Okay. Because they have like the statue that is there at the temple because of this entire thing where they like found the cave with the wooden statue and then they're making a new one in honor of that original one. Mm. And I reckon that it is going to be the cover for getting this gold. So I guess my question is, who's making the statue then? This is all Ho? He's the guy? He's like, I'm going to make a statue out of gold that I've got from somewhere. We have at least the ship owners like Kim Sang and all that who are clearly tied up in smuggling things to and from Korea. Mm-hmm. They're definitely involved. I don't think Ho is like in the town himself undertaking these actions. Okay, He's got lackeys. Like who? <laughs> Name them. <laughs> the boots on the ground would be Kumeng Pin, one of the boat owners. Mm. We have Kim Sang, who is his business manager. We've got the doctor. Sal. Xiao they, they get Xiao. Korean gold mm-hmm. on the boats. The boats bring it to the temple? Yes. They are amassing it to turn it into this statue. They're going to turn it into a statue. Yes. Okay. That makes sense to me. How does Ah Quang fit in all this? About his story, I, I I'm not sure because Doctor Doctor Xiao is like an obvious shoe in because he promises his daughter. He says he says that his wife promised his daughter to Kumeng Pian. He says it was a, a woman thing. Apparently, the women organized it. Yeah, but I reckon that he did it in return for a cut of this money. 
because mm. he clearly likes finery and thinks himself above other people. So he's not actually organizing the gold then. He's just given his daughter to a guy for some gold. Is that what it is? I mean, maybe he's involved in the paperwork. We know that he's a he's an academic. We know that he's got this three-story building that he lives in. It's true. He has a, he has a tower, apparently. It's not even a building. It's a tower. He's got a, he's got a cousin that lives in the city. Maybe that's like an arm that they're smuggling it through. Sure, sure. That makes sense to me. Let's pivot then. What what about these these other cases? Where where is the bolting bride? Where is Mrs. Koo? Where has she gone? Is she dead? Is she alive? Can she be saved? Because the last we saw of her is she disappeared out of this farmhouse, right? I mean, you, you tell me. Look, you're the one who's solving this. You tell me what's going on. But the official story is that she was going to bring some cakes to her husband and she disappeared. And her brother was like, I went home. I thought she'd be fine wandering the, the dangerous streets on her own, but she was she was not fine. <laughs> this is the secret. Secret is that she was definitely not fine. Well, the other thing is, is that we have this like monk's body. It's true. There, right? As a monk. As, as a monk. And I feel like the monk that was there is probably one of the guys that was wrapped up in this gold smuggling operation. And that's probably why he was killed. Maybe. Well, didn't it say he died of natural causes? And by didn't it say, I mean, it, that's that's what the book says. How about we ask this? Do you think that there's anything missing or incorrect about Judge Dee's interpretation of the case of the butchered bully? Where he says, oh, yes, this Arquane character came into this house, believed that it was his girl pay with some man, and he totally killed them because he d- didn't realize who it was. But in actuality, it was Fan and maybe his wife even though we apparently can't find his wife now. We just, we don't, she's not brought up. She's probably alive, but I don't know. I don't know where she is. That's not the person who's gone missing though. That's, we're talking about Kumeng Pin's wife has gone missing. Is that not the same woman? I'm so confused. Is it the same woman? That's not something that's explicitly stated. M- Mrs. Koo <laughs> is the one that is missing. And there's also a horrible murder in a farmhouse with an unidentified woman. But we don't have her body. And since there is no body, it means that Mrs. Koo is, in fact, still alive somewhere. And Judge D is always right, as we know. But Arquang is about 100% certain that he that he killed her. Apparently, she turned into a monk, or maybe was a monk the whole time. I mean, listen, if there was a, a woman in bed, and they were banging, then the woman would have been naked, and she fled. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> you know, if a monk saw her on the road... Yeah, <laughs> yes. ...would have just... Died instantly seeing a naked woman. <laughs> you know what? That's it. natural causes. I'm loving this. I love I flex. I love it when you like laser focus on some of the most important things in this case. Like if you had walked, if you were Judge D, you would not even have to deal with the tertiary or secondary aspects of the case. You'd be like, ah, I was I was greeted by my old friend on the road once. He's gonna <laughs> eat. <laughs> like he's definitely gonna do a murder. <laughs> You were just like the book even Judge D doesn't have the luxury of seeing it through an author's construction. Okay, Judge D just Shut had up. a nice lunch with his friends. I had a curated lunch with his friends, in which the dialogue was selected for me by Robert Van Gulik. Uh, you would you would be done with this murder mystery by chapter one, and you wouldn't even get to see all the like pirate adventures and the and the breaking of temples. You'd be like, nah, there's, there's no, there's, there's a body in that temple. I don't need to see it to know it's there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you just. What body in a temple? What body have the I said is body? 
But we found the dead magistrate in the in the temple in the first it's, part of the story. It's fine. And we're still seeing his ghost. I need you to tell me about that. Actually. Is that a ghost? No, it's it's Pokai. It's Pokai. Why do you think that Pokai is dressing up as the dead magistrate? Because they're brothers. Oh my goodness! What makes you think that? Well, because they both they both have like birthmarks on their face or whatever. Well, I mean, we've we've covered that like Pokai has a very grubby face. Like he's maybe he does. Uh, he's all he's, he's always he's drunk. Mess. He's always covered in booze. Yeah, and he's, al- he's always a mess, but yet okay. he does perfect paperwork. So what's he doing? Explain that to me. He's undercover. He's undercover trying to solve the murder of his brother. Okay, that's cool. By the people that he's hanging around closest with, which is the people that did it, which is the wealthy boat owners like Kim Sang. Okay, I see, I see. So why did he try to have the, the lot of them killed then? Because he's on the boat too. What do you too. mean have the lot of them killed? He was on the boat when the big attack happened. That doesn't mean he tried to orchestrate he says, it. He says that he lay low, but well, will you tell me? What was he doing on that boat then? He showed Judge D the plank that was rigged to kill him. He was on the boat when the attack happened that was unsuccessful. This man is pulling the strings to keep these people alive. He is their guardian angel. He is the moon spirit guiding them through these struggles. Are you telling me that he's also a were-tiger? You know what? I'm just going to say yes. <laughs> I'm just going to commit to this. That sounds right to me. Hey, right, look, if if Pokai turns out to not only be the dead magistrate's brother, but also a were-tiger, I would, I would be very impressed. Listen, this is, this is the book <laughs> that I was challenged to solve while I was on vacation. <laughs> so I did not take any notes. Mm-hmm. I can tell. It's and wonderful it's to watch you work. Very no apparent. <laughs> uh, People look. tell me I'm good at solving murder mystery novels, and I'm sure I've made some like bullseye hits in amidst all of this nonsense. You've, you've made some great leaps. I'm really enjoying listening to you be like, these things are happening. And I'm like, true, but like, why? How? With what physical evidence? We've just been what talking evidence? about Judge there's, there's like no rejection here. of the supernatural. Here you are being like, oh, uh, I have the author's notes here. Like, you don't need your <laughs> notes. You don't need your notes. You have the <laughs> author's <laughs> text. Those are your notes. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Glad we're on the same page. <laughs> okay, this is a bit of a mess. I have one more question for you. One, just one, just one more question. Wrong. I'm just gonna tell you wrong. What about the broken monk stabs in the like, the place where they find Ah Quang in the like ruined temple or whatever? They find a hidden monk cache where they're expecting to find like silver candles and incense and stuff, but all they find is a bunch of monk staves that have been like broken and battered and beaten and stuff. They do they have the gold in them? I'm just gonna say they have the gold in them. That they have the gold fair. in them. That sounds good to me. That's a good answer, isn't it? I was that's I'm I mean, I still think they're trying to get a big old statue full of gold, but I mean we have this thing where which character is it that has the, the two sticks? You tell me. <laughs> that's right, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. That is the poetically inclined brother of Pokai leaving a clue for Judge D by using a two sticks box to point at two sticks coup. Look, I feel like I've asked you all the questions that I have. I don't know if you want to try and summarize your your defense, your plea to the tribunal. Imagine I am the judge and you're knelt before me. I'm sitting on my fancy leather backed chair. 
My defense to the tribunal is that Ku Ming Pian, Kim Sang, and Dr. Xiao are smuggling gold for Secretary Ho to the capital from Korea via statues and staves, by via Buddhist <laughs> ornaments, basically. Okay. Because they're greedy. Because they're greedy. I love it. And you have no idea where the bolting wife is. Alive. <laughs> it's not sufficient. Um, <laughs> okay. You know what? That's fine. I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. You have laser focused in on the I important mystery. I can't get three points every week, I, Look, out of the three mysteries, you did laser focus in on one. And if this book was structured differently, I would put one point towards each story. But look, one one point to the main story and one to the two side stories. Listen, you said two of these cases are basically the same here. So, well, that you should be able to solve them then. Look, I'm just saying it's okay. Look, <laughs> you're you're expecting too much of me. Hurts. I am. I've, it's okay. I've been on vacation. This is this is it's just what it's like. You know, you're not a three point man when you're back from vacation. I get it. You need a you need a. Snickers or I don't expect any free points. I just expect patience. I would never. I would never give. I cannot give you patience. We only have like half an hour and most of that is interview anyway. It's true. We not, would not never much. sit here for longer <laughs> than 41 minutes and 24 seconds discussing <laughs> anything on this show. This last week too. We're so bad at this. Alrighty. Well, anyway, let's, let's wrap this up. I feel like you've done an adequate job at pleading your defense. Also, who's the wear tiger? You think he poke-eyes the wet tiger. We said on that. Yes. I suppose we will find out next week how many points that I graciously give you as if the magistrate. If it's more than one, you're being generous. <laughs> as the magistrate of this court, it's definitely floating somewhere between this one and two. This is about having <laughs> fun, not doing well. There's <laughs> not going to be three points. We will, we will <laughs> decide your fate next time on Death of the Reader. You're listening to 2SCR 107.3. We're going to cover to the end of the Chinese gold murders by Robert Van Gulick. See you then. Mm-hmm.